The new Bond movie, No Time to Die, is being hailed as a success after its opening weekend in theatres, but it's far from clear if it will make a profit, and its struggles don't bode well for the rest of the industry. Listen on to find out why. Welcome to this week's edition of the Inside the Stream podcast. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon from End Screen Media at the beginning there. Hey, Colin, how's everything? Everything is doing great, Will. Um, I, I had an interesting experience this week. Actually, a couple of my, my friends actually went to see the new Bond movie, which I think it's the first time they had been to the theaters since the pandemic. Uh, and uh, anyway, I think that that is going to be one of our main topics today, right? I think it is our main topic, not one of our main topics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to see if we get into a uh, the same type of spirited debate over Bond that we did last week over Google's Fiber TV. I'm, I'm guessing we're not going to reach that level of pitch this week, but let's see how it goes. Probably not. <laughs> but before we get there, we are going to talk about a couple of news items that caught our eye. Yeah, and I'm going to get us started. Um, This week, Viacom CBS announced that they are going to sell NFTs, non-fungible tokens, based on their content library. And um, not to be outdone, Fox actually announced that it was also going to begin selling NFTs based on The Masked Singer. And so uh, with respect to Viacom CBS, they said that they're going to launch with a platform with a partner called Recur in early 2022, where users are going to be able to buy, collect, and trade NFTs based on intellectual property from CBS, Paramount, Nickelodeon, Comedy Central, MTV, Showtime, and BET. And another, I think, important piece of this, unlike some other NFTs, is that you will not have to use crypto for your purchases. Um, You'll actually be able to use your credit and debit cards to buy the uh, Viacom CBS NFTs. And that, of course, will help it to be more mainstream. So, uh, Colin, I just, you know, I've actually been following the NFT market for a while. And um, some of our listeners, I may have spoken to about it, but I'm actually super bullish on NFTs under the right circumstances. The, The primary right circumstance being that the issuer of the NFT has an incentive to keep a cap on supply. So certainly a company like Viacom CBS or Fox or the NBA, other sports leagues, they understand the value of collectibles and are not incented to flood the market because obviously that's how you create value in collectibles is by maintaining scarcity. So um, I like NFTs a lot where the IP holder has their head in the right place and understands the value of scarcity. Um, I don't like NFTs with individual artist type situations where you don't know who the artist is and they could release another copy of whatever it is on the next day. And if you happen to own the NFT thinking there was going to be scarcity and all of a sudden you don't, then you've got a big problem. But I like this a lot for um, these types of companies. And I think it's going to be a big growth opportunity for them because there's basically no cost to creating these digital files and they just make them available on the platform and they start trading and um, you know the IP holder has a probably 95% margin business which is which is pretty cool yeah yeah i think i think i agree it's extremely high margin business 
and it uh, translates pretty directly from you know selling cells f uh, from movies um, only as you say it's just about the perfect product isn't it because there's uh, so almost no manufacturing costs and uh, the, 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 um, the keeping them scarce is good but key if you want to manufacture more there's the manufacturing costs are practically zero so uh, yeah, it should be should be a strong market. Collectors, I think, will love it. Definitely. What's on your radar? Well, this I'm sure that this maybe slipped by a few people's uh, radars this week, but I noted that there was a, a story on Mac rumors about how Apple is experiencing a lot of piracy of its Apple TV Plus shows. And this, this made me smile a little bit because, you know, Apple TV, this has just begun to get a good buzz with Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso, of course, won seven Emmys at the recent Emmy Awards. And so that, that's great. That's probably attracting a lot of people to Apple TV Plus who hadn't looked at it before. But at the same time, it's increasing the demand of the uh, of the illicit market and the piracy market and a lot of that content is showing up on piracy sites uh, and apparently well distributed core search which is a digital content protection specialist says that it's been showing up uh, like 125,000 seeds that's nodes the, the in a peer-to-peer -peer network that can serve up that 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 title some top shows are appearing on 125,000 seeds which apparently is a lot the ted lasso experience i think is only exacerbating the problem for apple so it's it's funny they finally get a break with ted lasso and it excites all the piracy specialists as well so tough uh, tough market i think yeah i mean i suppose no, no huge surprise there though colin right obviously the bigger uh any individual title does, the more the pirates are going to come out to copy it and circulate it. So I don't know that there is a good way around that, is there? I, I haven't followed piracy that closely, to be perfectly honest. But um, Well, there, are, there are plenty of things that you can do, Will. And so I'm sure Apple is doing some of them. But funnily enough, uh, I'm doing a security conference next week uh, on October the 19th and 20th. If you're listening to this podcast, you can come for free. So I'll put a link when, with this posting. So uh, why don't you come and listen about all the possible things that you can do to combat it? But um, anyway, why don't we why don't we get on to our main topic today? Yeah. So as we said at the beginning, uh, there were, we've both been reading about No Time to Die. You mentioned the new Bond movie. You obviously mentioned there your, that you have a few friends that have gone to see it. Um, this movie is noteworthy in a couple of respects. First of all, it's the 25th in the Bond series. It's also the last and final time that Daniel Craig is going to play Bond. And it was also the first big movie that was affected by the uh, COVID pandemic. It was the first one that was supposed to be released that got pushed out uh, way back from the beginning of the pandemic. So it's you know probably a year and a half after its release date. And there have been a lot of people who have been avidly waiting to see how No Time to Die was going to perform. So the early returns are in, and 
Uh, it looks like it did, and this is from an article earlier this week. I can actually give the quick updated numbers as well from Box Office Mojo. But from earlier this week, it uh, had done 56 million across 4,400 theaters in the U.S. and Canada. That was according to Comscore. And then it did another about 257 million internationally. So if you put the 257 together with the, with the uh, 56, you get to 313 million. We're recording here on Thursday. I took a quick peek at Box Office Mojo. It says that it's now at 326 million globally. That includes the U.S. And, um, you know, we'll see where it goes from there. It's actually, I think, in the ninth position for 2021. It's, um, yeah, it's in the ninth position there. The biggest movie of 2021 is a movie called High Mom. That's at 822 million. F9 is after that at 717. And No Time to Die is down at 326. But the reason we want to talk about No Time to Die today is because the article that we both read in the New York Times um, was trying to uh, sort of speculate on whether No Time to Die and a few upcoming movies, and, and actually a couple of recent movies, Cheng Shai and a couple of others, might be signs of the theater industry rebounding from obviously this terrible slump that it's been in during COVID and even predating COVID theater ticket sales were, were very soft. They'd been down. So, um, so this is something that a lot of people are watching. There's also actually been a, a lot of stock market speculation around this topic and the stocks of AMC and others have swung all over the place as a result of some of this, you know, kind of speculation. But that's a side issue. Relevant here is for our conversation. Relevant here for our conversation is whether, um, you know, No Time to Die's performance is indeed an indicator that theaters are coming back. And I would say, and I don't think you're going to disagree with me, or if you are, I don't think you're going to disagree with me as strenuously as you did last week about Google Fiber TV. But my point of view on this is that No Time to Die's performance is in no way, shape, or form indicative of a theater industry on the mend or coming back. In fact, actually, I think the article that we both read in the New York Times um, was, I thought, very confusing in its uh, what it said because right after noting that the movie cost about $250 million to make and another $150, $150 million to market. So in other words, $400 million all in, <clears throat> the article said, but the film sold enough tickets over the first three days in theaters to qualify as a, quote, success, in part because of interest from older ticket buyers who have been avoiding theaters over coronavirus concerns. And I would say that if there was ever a statement that exemplified moving the goalposts, it would be that statement. Because how you can define as a success a movie that costs $400 million and you know, for which MGM will only recoup its $400 million if the movie does $800 million globally by the time all is said and done and is currently at 326 million. How you define that as a quote success is a totally new concept for me. I, I just can't see under any circumstances how that can be considered a success or that it's indicative of a th theatrical industry that's on the mend and coming back. I think it's great that No Time to Die did you know 300 million plus, but 
it is a long, long way from ever turning a profit for MGM. And I think, you know, more broadly speaking, it shows that even Bond, even Bond is not really able to succeed in the box office. And this goes back to a podcast that you and I did earlier, um, just a few months ago in the summer, related to the movie Stillwater that Matt Damon was in. And I was I had written a couple of times about how I thought it was indicative of all the problems that were happening in the theater industry right now. Um, Matt Damon spoke very eloquently about his views of what's plaguing the uh, theater industry in Hollywood. And, you know, if Bond can't make it, <laughs> if Bond can't turn a profit at the theater, then it truly is a world where only the most rarefied superhero or animation movies, uh, sequels are going to be able to make money at the box office and all the small movies, the Matt Damon, Stillwaters of the world, forget it. They have no chance whatsoever. And, you know, Stillwater actually to that point, I think has done about 16 million, um, globally. Uh, and I think it was reported to have cost about 25. So that lost money as will all these other movies that are going to come out. And I just, I just don't know where Hollywood goes from here. I don't know where the theatrical industry goes from here. As I said earlier this summer, I think they're in a deep, dark box of their own making, and I don't really see how they recover. Yeah, um, I, yeah I, you're right. I'm not going to disagree with you on this, Will. It's, it's really troubling uh, for the industry that a movie, a tempo movie like Bond can't, can't turn a profit. Um, I actually, I think there is a chance that it still can. Um, uh, that is, that the, there's probably a lot of people who would like to have seen it, but were still not ready to go back to theaters. So when it does come to pay-per-view, um, and of course, Amazon will be doing the marketing of that. Uh, when it does come to pay-per-view, I've got a feeling that it will do pretty well. So that could get it at least to to about even i think um in in the long term but you know movies like this usually do extremely well at the box office and are profitable relatively relatively quickly um now back in i was look i was looking at some data well and back in april uh, this was when vaccinations were just beginning to crank up uh, so lucid put out some data that asked a bunch of people when, um, how likely they would be to go to a movie theater once they were vaccinated. And even, even after being vaccinated, still only half of the people said that they were likely or very likely to go to the movie theater. And I have a feeling that that number hasn't shifted very much. Uh, certainly looking at the performance of Bond, uh, I don't think that number shifted very much. So, that's that's a real problem. Um, the, you know, the Delta variant, I think, has got a lot of people who would have probably gone still hesitating. The fact that they can still get sick from it is, is holding them back. And I know uh, it makes me think twice about sitting in a movie theater with a bunch of other people. And I'm sure it does a, a lot of other people. But the, but the other thing is that... Um, if you look at what HBO Max did, they they made the commitment to release all of their movies day and day in, in HBO Max um, this year. 
And it seems to have had a very beneficial effect on the service. It's drawn in a, a whole bunch of new, uh, new subscribers. In fact, I was looking at some data that showed that uh, there were more app, um, HBO Max was basically at the top of app downloads, particularly at the beginning of the year. Um, and uh, I, I don't know if it's it's kept up the same pace, but it certainly does seem to have had a, a good effect on HBO Max. But HBO Max has now said that, um, and HBO rather um, has said, Warner has said that they will go back to theatre first, but with a reduced window. And um, I think the the window that they're talking about there is sixty days. Um, and universal, and I'll just jump in and say Universal has said yes. they're going to do that with yeah. Peacock. All the, their window is going to be four months um, from yeah. theatrical release to Peacock. And of course, they pulled their movies off primary release for, to uh, Amazon and um, and HBO. So they're still going to be available, but I think in yet a later window. So yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm just I just wanted to second your point there that that is that's what we're going to see next year. Yeah. So so with compressed windows, even on the ten tentpole movies. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that smaller movies or character driven movies, which were in trouble before the pandemic, now are just not are just a non-starter in the theaters. This this is really really bleak situation for the industry. Uh, so I, you know, where, where they go from here, I don't know. Well, it looks like it could be a year or more before the audiences that were prepared to go to the movie theater before the pandemic are prepared to go to the theaters after. Uh, and in the interim, we're being, you know, we're being trained that we actually don't have to wait nearly as long for a tentpole movie to show up in a service that we have access to uh, on digital uh, as before. So I don't know, this, this, this is really a huge problem for the industry. Yeah, I mean, I think that point that you just made, Colin, about how we're being conditioned is really key because I see some parallel here between what's happening with the movies with you know, call it the character-driven movies, or even the bigger movies like Bond, and what's happened with cord cutting. People cut the cord, and they get accustomed to a lifestyle of just streaming, and they just start changing their lives to adapt to that reality of just streaming. And I think that's kind of what's happening with the movie industry, is that people are adapting to just watch these movies at home on streaming rather than going to the movies out to the theaters and you know as time marches on here it's really hard to put that genie back in the bottle it it just becomes part of human behavior there's no reason or no inclination to go to the movies to go out to go to the theater and that only perpetuates hollywood's problem because it only further furthers their interest in only releasing the superhero, the animation, the sequel. And before long, if we're not already into that cycle, those are the only movies that show in the theaters. Those will literally be the only movies that play in a theater, other than like a little art cinema, that kind of place. These will be the only movies that play in theaters. And that will only cause more people not to go to the theater because there's nothing playing in the theater that they're interested in. And it just, it truly is a downward spiral. 
And I think that's what the industry's actually already found itself in. And I just, I do not understand how it's going to pull out of this. I don't see any sign or signal of how the industry is going to pull out. I don't think Warner putting its movies in theaters for four months next year before putting them onto HBO Max. I don't see how that or anything else the industry is doing is material enough to reverse the slide, which is no. sad. I mean, it really makes me wonder 10 years from now, 10 years from now, are they just going to be like a whole bunch of, you know, hulks of old movie theaters all across America and the world, just completely abandoned buildings? I, I don't know. Yeah. So I, 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 I guess I was looking at some um, entertainment spending numbers, Will, uh, before we got before we got going here. And what, what's really shocking is how compressed disc and pay-per-view sales and rentals, uh, disc and digital pay, uh, sales and rentals, have become a much, much smaller part of our spending. Uh, and the reason, the reason I mention this is because I think it really reflects a very different attitude now towards entertainment um, among people. So if you go back to Q2 2019, that that whole um, disc and digital business of selling and renting primarily movies was oh, something like about a third of the business and subscription streaming was three quarters and if, if you just two years later it, it's not even a quarter it's <laughs> it's probably only about 20 percent and subscription streaming uh, that that is where we're spending most of our money and of course subscription streaming is on demand um, and very often you get all the episodes at once, although you know a lot of the services now are dribbling those dribbling those out. So, I think that has just conditioned us to really feel like the premium entertainment that we want to see comes to us, you know, directly uh, on our devices when we want it, and that the way the movie business works now is becoming increasingly out of step with the way we want to consume. Um, there is still clearly uh, a group, a large group of people who like to watch with other people in the movie theaters for certain movies. But the number of those movies that they want to do that with are just much, much smaller than they were before. And the rest, it's not that they don't want to consume those, they do. They just don't want to consume them in that environment. They want to consume them on demand. So, well, I, yeah, I was yeah. just going to jump into sort of second the point, but and maybe also add another element to that, Colin, which is that you know the economics of going to a theater for a family of four or a family of five are so out of whack relative to the economics of watching something at home on streaming that you know the world, the real world that we live in, where people manage their budgets, where the vast majority of people have to manage their budgets very tightly, live on a paycheck. Uh, movie going is, is uneconomic. Going to a theater, it's uneconomic. You, you simply can't go out and spend $150 or whatever it may end up being by the time you add up all the concessions. Um, not to mention, even if you leave your kids home, you have to get a babysitter and 
everything else. It's, it's an uneconomic proposition to do, particularly if you're not even that excited about the underlying movie that you're going to go see. Right. I, I, you know what, though? I, this, this all sounds a bit down. I do want to point out an, an, an up note here, and that is that we actually, I think we have now the ability to get access to movies much, much more easily that was actually quite difficult to get to, uh, to get a hold of before. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking uh, there was a new service launched really recently called Curia. And Curia is really focused on independent movies and the early movies of, of um, uh, much bigger directors today. And this is a heavily curated service, so you can you sign up. It's four bucks a month, and it's very very easy to sort of wander in and find some really great movies from from well known directors, but that you would never that would, it would have been difficult to find any other way. Um, and, and and I know also that it is seems to be easier to find independent movies in general. So um, I, I watched a great one the other day, Fabulous Fungi on Netflix, which I actually talked to the director of that movie uh, last year. And you know, of course, independent movies were struggling with the closure of movie theaters as well. Uh, but it was just wonderful to me that I was able to find that movie and watch it. Uh, and really, I may, ne- I may never have seen that movie were it not for the fact that Netflix had, had grabbed the rights and, uh, and brought it to me. Um, so, so anyway, I, I guess for me, the digital world has actually given me more access and a better ability to find those smaller movies, which, which frankly, Hollywood has been walking away from and which the theatres have played increasingly fewer of them. Uh, so I think from that perspective, it's it's good. Uh, it's a little bit sad that they're not seen in the environment of the movie theater where they perhaps are intended, but they are getting watched, which is, I think, a, a very good thing. Yeah, that last little part that you said, they are getting watched, might be the part that I would say I'd be interested in seeing the data on that. My hunch is that the average independent movie released on Netflix in 2021 doesn't get anywhere close to the viewership or generate anywhere close to the revenue that it would have, let's just say 10 years ago before this whole streaming world really started taking off. Um, so if that's true, and I'm not sure that it is, but my hunch is that it is, uh, I think there's a radical reshaping of the economics of movie making and that goes for everybody actors talent locations catering you name it if an independent has to get by on a million dollar budget now versus a two million dollar budget from 10 years ago that flows right through to every element of its production process and um you know hey colin i think it's great that you get access to these movies that you're talking about enjoy them while they last because <laughs> i suspect that there are going to be far fewer of them in the future as people sort of vote with their wallets and well maybe don't necessarily maybe go that's, into that profession maybe that's something that we should take on in the future will uh, so if you're listening to this <laughs> and you want us to invite uh, some independent movie producers i do i i know if i know a few that we could invite on the show to talk about the future of the independent movie business. Well, why don't you 
send us send us an email let us know um we'd love to do a show like that but i think we're probably just about out of time today yeah and i feel like i've been a total debbie downer today colin which other than my enthusiasm for nfts i've probably succeeded in bringing our audience way down today and i apologize (laughs) for that sometimes i uh i well first of all i hope that i'm not entirely correct about what i'm saying let me say that um because i would miss going to the movies as much as anybody out there um and uh you know hopefully listeners have other things that are going to bring them up this week (laughs) we'll offset my we'll offset my tone (laughs) yeah well um the great thing is that there are some fantastic movies out there and i i feel like i have an opportunity to watch a lot more of them than i did before yep. so you know i'm pretty happy fair enough fair enough colin all right well great chatting and uh, thanks everybody for listening in on this week's edition of inside the stream and we'll see you all again next week Production of in-screen media and video news. All rights reserved.